Good morning, family, and welcome to Riverside Church Online. We're so pumped to have you join us today. A few reminders for those who are new or those wanting to connect. Please use our connect button on our website so we can be in touch. On the 18th of Feb, we'll be starting our next journey course. So if you're wanting more information or to register, please go to our app or to our website. Thank you to those who continue to give through tithes and offerings. We pray you continue to be generous through these trying times. And now, family, as we switch our heart and attention to worship, I'm reminded of Hebrews 6 regarding God's promises. This morning, God's promises are an anchor for our souls, firm and secure. It is God, the promise keeper that we worship. It's to Him we bring our praise. So Lord Jesus, this morning, won't you take delight in our worship and in our praise. This morning we stand firmly on your word and your promises to us. Amen. Hello everyone. We are back a couple of weeks into uh, the new year, 2021, and things have not started uh, really the way we wanted them to. I know many of us were looking forward with renewed hope and renewed expectations to try and recover from the disaster that was uh, 2020. But we can't always control these things. But one thing we can control is how we think and participate in the transforming power of the gospel. And that's what this series is all about. And we are in part three of our series called The Transforming Power of the Gospel, where we want to actively participate uh, with the work of the Holy Spirit being made more and more like Jesus. Jesus saves me just as I am, but Jesus does not leave me as I am. Through his grace I am saved, but through his grace I am transformed and transformed into his image and his likeness. Jesus saves me as I am, but Jesus does not leave me as I am. See, this is something that Jesus wants for me, not from me. And as we've encouraged every single time in this series, when I become more like Christ, everyone benefits When I become like Christ, my wife benefits, my children benefit. When I mature in my faith, when my character and actions reflect that of Jesus more and more, they all benefit. And the vision for us is that if we uh, engage and take this seriously, that I can be transformed into the image and likeness of Christ, I am going to benefit. Everyone around me benefits because of this. And the foundation for the series is Romans chapter 12. Why don't you turn there so long in your device or your Bibles so that we can read together. And Romans 12 verse 1 to 2 encourages us in the view of what we have received from God, His mercy. We are called to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. This is our proper and true worship that we respond being transformed with the renewing of our mind, that we can live the way that Jesus wants us to, has called us to as a response to his great mercy. And we have been using the framework of Romans 12 to give us 
uh, a vision of what maturity can look like as we have been looking at uh, these verses that give us an example and show us what we get to strive for in light of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And so why don't you go down and find uh, verse verse 17 of Romans chapter 12. And while you're doing that, I'm sure you can agree with me that at some point in your life, you have been wronged. You have gotten angry because somebody did something to you that you thought was wrong. It was offsides, it was unfair, that you were sinned against or offended in some way. I mean, if I think back through my life, this has been quite a, a common theme, you know, and, and even being conditioned uh, to think like this. I was at an all-boys school, rugby was a big deal. And if somehow you got tackled by an opposition member, there were shouts from the sidelines, get up, go get him back, go get him back. And this, this kind of thing that we need to get back at or get even uh, at the people who have wronged us. Maybe it's a, a little bit more uh, serious than a schoolboy rugby match, but I remember being in university having a serious academic rival that uh, friendship was sometimes difficult because we were always vying for first spots at the academic end-of-year ceremonies. Maybe traffic where somebody cuts you off or the grocery store or uh, if you're at work in a very competitive environment. Uh, you know the saying, a dog-eat-dog world where we are uh, conditioned to avoid the appearance of weakness, to never back down, to always be on the top of our game, to be hard in some of the corporate environments that we find ourselves in. We need to prove ourselves right. I can just remember how much energy I spent growing up with my cousins in our rivalries, to always be better, to always come out on top, to always um, be the one on top, to always be right. And this is something that dominates our culture, some of the very toxic kind of behaviors that we often experience and find ourselves often on the receiving end of it. I know during this COVID season, we've often felt wronged, but my freedoms have been taken away. We're angry at some of the decisions that are, are being made, and we you know, can often even get passive-aggressive with people in our lives that we you know, want to take it out on people. Here's what Romans 17, or Romans chapter 12, verse 17 says. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Verse 20, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. The gospel saves us, but the gospel also transforms us. 
And we always look to the gospel to see how we can live like Christ and progress and grow in our maturity. Now, I know there are some very hard things in Scripture, and this is one of them. It's easy to love a family member. It is easy to love our girlfriends, our wives. It's easy to care for our best friends, our mates. But this is hard. Where the words of Scripture are to as far as possible to live at peace, to strive for peace, to not repay evil for evil. But these words, if you see your enemy hungry, feed him. If thirsty, give him something to drink. See, again, this is rooted squarely and firmly in the gospel. And I'm reminded of Luke 24, verse 34. And it says this, When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. So here's the scene. Jesus has been illegally arrested. He's been falsely trialed. He has been beaten publicly with an inch of his life. He has been publicly nailed to uh, the, the cross that... Uh, execution device by the Roman Empire with criminals on either side and soldiers are gambling for his clothes. And he says the words, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. When I read those words, I'm just actually cut to my heart to see that much love, that much grace in Jesus that to have endured all of that And to be hanging, nailed to those wooden beams. And to say those words, Father, forgive them. When I think about that, I realize just how much more maturing I have to go in my life. Because I tell you what, there's still in me a desire to want to pay back people who wrong me. I get angry when I'm cut off in traffic. You know, I want to pull up uh, to that person at the next robot and to, to tune them off. You know, there's so many things that can get me worked up. But if anyone had a reason to be angry, in that moment, Jesus doesn't. But he offers love. He offers grace. He calls on the Father to forgive them. Just sets for us such an incredible example of what it means to love your enemy. But Craig, that's not the greatest example because... Look, I don't run the risk of being crucified by the Roman Empire anytime soon. So, so how does that really work for me? Well, let me take you into some of the context of the church in Rome that Paul was writing this letter to. So when the church started in Rome, it was predominantly Jewish. There then was a massive fire. The Roman emperor at the time blamed the Jews and all the Jews had to leave Rome. And they had to be out of Rome for some time. So then what happened was the church became predominantly Gentile. And a bit of context, we know that for generations, Jews and anybody not Jewish being Gentile could not interact with each other. 
back then, if they shook hands or touched somehow, they had to sanitize. They had to go and wash, and uh, they had to uh, go and get clean again because they could not engage uh, with anyone who was not Jewish. So Jewish church, they left, becomes a Gentile church. Now the Jews are allowed back into Rome, and now there is conflict because uh, the, the Jewish church, the Jewish leaders of that church, now wanted to assume back their role of leadership and authority into the church and are now clashing with their Gentile counterparts. And so with that comes so much history Um, of the cultural tensions and racism that was expressed there, very complex. And now you're also dealing with the fact that they were blamed for something they did not do. And all of this tension kind of adds into that. And so this is some of what Paul is having to kind of write and speak into. And so with some of these tensions, again, we go back to the text. Do not overcome evil um, with evil, but do it with good. So sometimes bad things happen. Sometimes we get angry and we want to give payback. And I really think this is one of the hardest parts of our faith. But when we understand what's going on here, I think this is one of the most liberating truths in all of Scripture. So Paul goes on to say, instead, live at peace. And if you see your enemy hungry, feed him. If you see your enemy thirsty, give them something to drink. Because by doing so, you heap burning coals on their head. Now this is a very interesting kind of idiom here. And I want to just unpack it for, for a few minutes for us to really help us understand here. What Paul is doing is he is quoting Proverbs 25. And so uh, as we start to understand it, the first thing we can rule out is God is not contradicting himself here. See, he's not being literal. That if I see my enemy, the person who wronged me, hungry and I feed him, I'm not literally pouring burning hot coals on his head and doing him that physical damage. This is obviously an idiomatic um, figure of speech. And so how then do we understand what he is meaning here? Well, there's no real consensus on this, but two uh, very plausible um, readings and understandings of this. And so I'm going to share both of you because both, I think, speak uh, into this and give us some great insight into what Paul is encouraging. And so the, the first one is, um, is this. Most cultures around the world use containers to carry things on their heads. They'll load up things, balance it, and go walking. So if we're heaping coals, at least it's a container. And so the one understanding is the burning coals on their head is an image of God's wrath on them, your enemy. So we don't have to worry. And this is why I say this is so liberating for me, because what he's saying here is we are free from any response to people who have wronged us. We are free from our actions. We are free from having any kind of negative emotions to people because God is the judge. 
We know in Scripture that there is going to come a point in everybody's lives where they will not have the choice. They will have to get on their knees and bow before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. There is going to be a time when God comes back as the ultimate judge of the entire universe. So because of that, I am free from judging anybody else's actions. If somebody wrongs me, I am free. I don't have to get caught up in the way they treat me because I have been saved by Jesus and I know Jesus is coming back. And so for that reason, if someone is my enemy, I am free to love them. I'm free to not get caught up in their actions towards me, to not get caught up in any emotions that I'll have towards them. I get to model Jesus because he is the one. And the passage says, he comes in his wrath. He comes and he is going to judge the world. So I just get to feed my enemy if he is hungry and I get to give him something to drink if he is thirsty. I am free. It is so liberating that I don't have to get caught up in any games. I don't have to get caught up in any competing. I get to live a life of worship in view of God's mercy, this living sacrifice, holy, pleasing, and acceptable to the Lord, which means I'm free from how I worry about how people treat me. If somebody wrongs me, I still am free to love him because God is the ultimate judge and revenge is his. So that's one reading of that. And the second one then uh, builds on that, which is uh, the idea that this is possibly rooted in an ancient Egyptian practice where if somebody repented, uh, they would publicly walk with a bowl of coals on their head as showing that they have um, repented, that they are, are apologizing for wrongs that they did. And so we can read that into this text that going, if I see my enemy and I feed him because he's hungry or I give him something to drink because he is thirsty and I'm so heaping coals on his head, that it is possible that when I'm free from any negative actions towards my enemy, somebody who's wronged me, that I can just bless them, genuinely love them, that it can cause them to repent, that it can move them from being an enemy to a friend. Because in the gospel, I was God's enemy and Jesus' death in my place for my sin moved me from being an enemy to an adopted son and co-heir. And now I get to call God Abba, my father. And Jesus' actions towards me moved me from enemy to adopted son. And so it's possible that when we act in that genuine way to people who have wronged us, it gives them the opportunity to repent and move from being enemy to friend, brother, even come to being a, a co-heir with Christ and coming to faith in him. Isn't that just so exciting that our actions can have that effect on people? Jesus said these words in Luke 6. But to you who are listening, I say this, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Again, Jesus knew this because he was cursed and mistreated. He was hated, yet he blessed us all. And then one of my favorite passages of scripture, Psalm 23, 
verse 5 and 6. This is uh, David writing, and we know that he had many issues with Saul and military campaigns. But speaking and reflecting on his relationship with the Lord, he says, You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I really want you to see that as followers of Jesus Christ, we are free. We are not bound to engage with people like they want us to. We play by a different set of rules. One where we have surrendered to the judgment of the Lord. That we go, Jesus, you have saved me. So I live by your standards and by your actions. And I follow your uh, guidelines for my life. What that means is I am free to love everyone, even my enemy. That if someone wants to persecute me, I am free to bless them because of who you are and what you have done. That if someone wrongs me, I can pray for them and love them. If they're hungry, I can feed them. Thirsty, I can give them something to drink. Jesus, because of who you are. I am so secure in you that you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies, that my head is anointed with oil and my cup overflows. Because of who you are, goodness follows me every day of my life. And I don't worry. I don't worry what will happen to me because I'm secure in who you are. And I can take that into every single relationship. And so I can behave like that. I know this is a hard thing, but this is what we're saying is this is the gospel. I was his enemy. Now I am a co-heir with Christ, an adopted son. God is my father. Did not deserve that. And so I can treat people like that in my life. Realizing how much I have been forgiven, how much I have been loved, I can extend that to everybody I come across in the future and from the past. So I want to encourage you, if you are, are hearing this, I don't know what has been done to you in the past. And I do not want to minimize anything that has been done to you, any sin done to you, any wrong done to you. But I am encouraging you to realize how you have been freed from that and so can extend grace because of what Jesus has done for us. And maybe your action step from hearing this is picking up the phone giving someone a call. It might be a family member. It might be a dad. It might be a, a son, a daughter that you've been estranged from because of something that was done. But start to engage with them because of the gospel. To start working and asking the Lord, you have forgiven me so much. Help me forgive this person. Help me love this person like you loved me while I was your enemy. I want to encourage you that this is a direct way that we can walk in maturity. It's by how we forgive, how we love, how we treat people. The gospel demands it. And this is how I can be transformed. It's by how I treat even those who wrong me, who would treat me badly, who have treated me badly. 
and what maturity could look like for you this year is finally forgiving that person or persons who wronged you. Let's pray. Jesus, again, I did not deserve your salvation. I did not deserve how you died for me while I was your enemy and so then moved me to be a co-heir with you and an adopted son that I get to call God my father. So God, for everyone that is listening, if they are struggling to forgive, I pray that through the transforming power of your Holy Spirit, you would remind them of how much they have been forgiven so that they can move to a place of forgiving them. I pray for anyone that's feeling bound by pain from the past, that you would help them to realize that we are secure in you and that that primary relationship matters most. And so we can just love without concern, that we can care for anyone regardless of what they would do to us, that we don't have to harbor anger, but we can just love and bless. I want to thank you that you enable us to do that. In your holy name, amen. Thanks for watching with us this week. May God's word help you grow in your journey as you follow Christ. We do hope that you'll join us again next week. Until then, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and our Riverside app. See you soon.